0: Matthew chapter 5, and I want you to join with me and read along with me, allow when you have found it. You are? That's half of you. You are? The salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing. but to be thrown out out. and trampled trampled. underfoot Underfoot. by men. men. Father, we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. What an amazing time we've already had. I still look forward to coming to this place to see each and every one of you and just to enjoy Entering into the courts of the Lord with thanksgiving. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. A mother gave her six-year-old twins permission to attend church with a neighbor, something that she normally would not do. And because the little girls were so excited about going to church with their neighbor, mom said, fine. When the girls returned, they asked mom permission as she was preparing dinner if they could go into the yard and play church. And she instructed them to change their clothes. And they went into the yard. And mom was cooking dinner. And she was startled by what she heard in the yard because her six-year-old twins were cussing each other out. By the time she rushed to the yard and to find out what was going on with them, she found them rolling around in the grass, pulling each other's hair, and punching and kicking each other. Finally she was able to separate the two combatants, and she said, what in the world are you doing? And they said, we're playing church, (laughs) we're playing church. She said, what do you mean you're playing church? She said, well, while we were in church today, they were collecting the offering. Two of the choir members, as they passed the offering basket, started cussing at each other. And they began to roll around at the altar, pulling at each other's weaves. Somebody say amen. Amen. (laughs) Unfortunately, uh, and I'm hoping I have the right set of, uh, anyway. Things like that occur in churches around this country on a regular basis. And it's very obvious that these two twins left church very much impacted by what they saw. Sometimes the only Bible that people will ever read is your life. The Bible says that we are written epistles being read by men every single day. Back in the day, if you told a non-Christian, a non-churchgoer, that there were folks fighting in the church, they said, oh, I told you ain't nothing but hypocrites in the church. That's why I don't go. I have church in my house. Well, the millennials don't call folks who fight in church hypocrites. They have another name for it. They call it being messy. A lot of messy people in the church. A lot of messy people in the church. Messy Christians live lives that don't match the message they preach. They say they have faith, but they live in fear. They say, I love God, but they hate your guts. They read their Bibles, but they don't heed to their Bibles. Messy Christians say, I'm praying for you, but don't expect me to speak to you. Messy Christians Christians declare, God has forgiven me and his mercies are new every day, but don't expect me to forgive you. Second mile Christians are not messy. They consistently live lives that reflect the presence of Christ. Don't be a messy Christian. Don't be a perpetrator, don't be a hypocrite. Don't allow the way you live, that you're living so loudly that people can't hear what you're saying. Here's how Jesus puts it, and we've already read it. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, How can it be salted again? It is no longer good for anything except to be trotted underfoot. It's worthless. As the Lord assembles a gathered congregation that is a mixed multitude outside of the city of Jerusalem on a hillside, he begins to teach them what we call the Beatitudes, the beautiful attitudes. And he shifts his remarks from the general multitude. Now he is zeroing in on those who profess to be a part of his kingdom. And what he says in these verses, and we're just going to look at verse 13 today, is that as a believer, you are a person of influence. You impact people's lives. For the better or the worst, Christians never leave anybody the way they found them. You've either made their lives better or you've made it worse. There's no in between. Now, there are just three things or thoughts that I want to consider with you today. And you need to mark this down. Because the way you live may determine if somebody makes it into heaven or not. The way you represent may say something about Jesus that is so untrue that people would never want to come to know him personally. Here's the first thought. You must know the standard. You need to know the standard. Say, I need to know the standard. Secondly, you need to know who who God is. You need to know, let me back off. You need to know who you are. Say, I need to know who I am. I who I am. And then finally, it's going to get real complicated. So you got to write this one down. This is real long. You need to be who you are. You need to know the standard. I want you to write these verses down. And at least nine times in the Bible, and when God says something more than once, it's not because He ran out of, run out of words to say. His vocabulary is infinite. In fact, it's transcendent. He has to condescend. He has to reduce his conversation to communicate with us. So he's not lacking in words. But when God repeats himself, it's a red light. So at least nine times God says what he says in the verses that I'm going to share with you. But write these verses down for now. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 26 and 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 16. And we're going, we're getting there. But let me just kind of keep on laying the runway. We're making this thing. We're going to land this plane, and, and then we're going to take off. Problem: Many professing Christians today, when it comes to not being hypocritical, perpetrators, not having a messy Christian life, not causing people to be uh, distracted from who Jesus is, is that you and I, too often, have a distorted view of God. We have downsized God by making him in our, into our own image. We're not made in the image of God, but we have fashioned him in our own image. And by that, I mean we have made God whatever we need him to be, whenever we need him. He's not sovereign. We are. He has been reduced to a God of convenience. He is just a passenger in our car. God's not driving our car. He's a passenger. We have made God our own personal trunk monkey. Not to be disrespectful to God. Trunk monkey fixes things. If he got to hurt somebody, he hurt somebody. You got to pay a traffic cop off. Under the table, he will pay the traffic cop off. God is the trunk monkey. He comes out when we need him, and he takes care of stuff for us. God, he is a God that requires little or nothing from us. But we expect the God of where there's no variance with him, no changing with him, to give us every good and perfect gift. We expect nothing less than top-shelf blessings. If you're going to live a God-honoring life, you need to know who God is. He is the standard. Not me. Not what you were taught. Wherever you came from, unless it's from the word of God, God is the target. You can hit the bullseye a thousand times, but if it's the wrong target, you failed. God is our aim. He is the standard. He's what we're shooting to be. And here are those verses. Here's what they say in, Deut- in Le- Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26: says, "Thus you are to be holy to me, for the Lord, in, the Lord, for I, the Lord Jehovah, am holy, and I have set you apart from the people to be mine." God is holy, and He says, "I have set you apart as my own possession." And then in 1 Peter, some say, oh, that's the Old Testament. Okay, let's see what the New Testament says. (laughs) And because it is written, referencing the Old Testament, Peter says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. God is holy. Of all of His perfections, of all of His characteristics, of all of His attributes, the single most identical quality that is true of God is His holiness. When God is executing His righteousness, He's doing it in holiness. When God, the Bible says that God is the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all who suppress. The truth in unrighteousness, when God is acting in his righteous indignation, his wrath is even holy. Everything that God does, his love is holy. His grace is holy. Everything is dressed up in his holiness. So his most predominant perfection, while all are perfections, the one that covers all of them is that God and first, first and foremost, it's holy. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, this is the message we, we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him dwelleth no darkness, double negative, no darkness at all. He's holy. That's what light symbolizes. In him dwelleth no darkness, no darkness at all. He's holy. And so when we talk about being Christians that are not messy. The question becomes, are we being like the holy God? He is the the mark. Am I being holy? Stay with me. Now, what does it mean when God commands believers to be holy? The way we used to think of it, there there are two predominant uh, words. The Old Testament predominant word for holy is kadosh. Isaiah uses it. In Isaiah chapter 6, the angels cried out, kadosh, kadosh, the word holy in the Old Testament. That's the most uh, frequently used. In the New Testament is hagias, hagios, which we translate sanctified, and sometimes it's translated holy. And we often associate holiness with not wearing lipstick, wearing a dress that you can't see your, your, your ankles, no jewelry, uh, bow ties, sometimes bean pies. You know, we make holiness a bunch of things that we do or don't do. Holiness has been reduced to legalism, and so we leave those kind of churches and find churches that are less legal. But no matter what church you go to, the God that is taught in the Word of God, the true and living God, He's holy. And so the word holy, when God says that we should be holy, it simply means to be set apart or dedicated to God. It means to be committed to being like God in every aspect of our lives. So when I am being holy, I am thinking like God. I am acting like God. I am looking like Jesus because we were saved, predestined, foreknown, elected before the foundations of the earth to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So when I'm looking like Jesus, I'm being holy. And so holiness is simply being like God and how you talk. What you, what you think, how you conduct yourself. That's what holiness is. The moment that you trust the Lord, the Bible says we're not saved by works which we've done, we've, which we've done but by the washing and the renewing and the regeneration being made alive by the Spirit, yeah. we have been saved. So at the moment you say yes to Jesus and turn from your sins to, to Christ, you become the temple of God and his spirit takes up residency in you. He, you, he, you become the abode of God, the house of God. You are therefore, because God is living in you, you who were formerly just formed from the dirt of the earth and nothing more than dirt, now you become holy dirt because God is living in you. And what he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of redemption. But the way the Lord perfects, completes, matures us to look like Jesus so that we're walking in holiness, the Bible says, work out your own soul salvation in what? Fear and in trembling. You can work out your own soul salvation because of what God has already worked in. Amen. He who began a good work in you. So once you are saved, you don't have to die to be voted into sainthood. You are a saint. You are a hagios. You are holy. But when I'm living and walking in holiness, I am acting like God as I'm being directed by the power of the Spirit of God. I want you to know something, that not enough Christians are controlled by the Spirit of God. We have become good at just being good people. But good people don't, Paul said, we did not come to you with the persuasion of speech, but we came to you in the demonstration of power. He says, what sets us apart is the power of God that is activated every time I say yes to the direction of the Spirit of God in obedience to his word. That's where the power is. Being holy means to be like God, to be like, to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be set apart from sin unto God. That's the same word for sanctification. We have been sanctified, set apart. We are being every time I obey, but one day, Romans 8 says, I am going to be removed from the very presence of sin. That's called glorification. Why does it matter? Because too many Christians have reduced being a follower of Jesus as coming to church on occasion. And we don't even have to bring our Bibles anymore because that used to be a way to determine how serious somebody was about God. Where's your Bible? Oh, you don't have no scripture with you. Well, I found it on the way to church. It was under my car seat, but I got it. That used to be the biggest fight. Where's my Bible? Well, following Jesus is not about showing up once a month or however often we come to church. Churches to, to Christians what the gas station is to your car. You go to get fueled, and the fuel is not for you to stay part in your faith until you come back again. Amen. Amen. The fuel is for you to be equipped to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And as I am being yielded to build up the body of Christ, at the same time, I'm being holy Bible says, this is why it's important to know who the standard is, it's God, he is, he's holy, and he, he says, make every effort in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, to live in peace with everyone, and here it is, and be holy, for without holiness, no one, no one shall see God. It's a requirement for salvation. It's a requirement for entering to heaven. And this is not perfection. This is an individual, because God says, judgment starts at the household of God. And the reason we need to be clear on that, because Jesus says, many shall say in that day. This is the great white throne judgment. This is not the Bema Seed judgment of Christ. You're in the group of the goats. And the Lord said, many shall say in that last judgment, have I not gone to church? Have I not prophesied and taught in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, you workers of iniquity. There ought to be fruit in your life that demonstrates that you belong to Christ. It's important because without holiness, that's the standard. Did did the pastor see me? Did somebody from the church hear me on the phone? Did somebody catch my email? No, I ain't the standard. God is omnipresent wherever you are. David said, if I made my bed up in hell, you're there. If I ascend with the wings of a bird and fly into the outmost parts of the heavenlies, even there, God, there's nowhere that God isn't. Even before I got there, he was there. When I get to where I'm going, he's already waiting for me. Before uh, I relocated, before I lo- uh Uh, located to Dallas, Texas, where where three of my four children were born. Uh, Kenita was born in Houston. And I don't know if she remembers that. It's been so long. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I had never been any further than a day trip to New York City on a train with my aunt. I'll never forget that because During that trip, she purchased a baseball glove for me that we stole. (laughs) She stole it and put it in my bag. And we got on the train and came home. What a great trip. (laughs) If it's your aunt, it can't be stealing, can it? (laughs) So when I went to Dallas Seminary, I had no concept of the distance between Texas and Philadelphia. So I jump on a plane, and I didn't even know that Fort Worth and Dallas aren't the same. So I had nowhere to get from the airport to Dallas, the city where the school is, seminary is. But anyway, when I get there and I finally am settled and I'm there for a while, make some friends there, and we get into a dispute, a dispute about which city is better, Philadelphia or Dallas. And of course, Philadelphia is the better of the two cities. And uh, I, w- I argued. And I said, now, you're going to have to go to Philly and see what I'm saying. So this person actually agreed. During semester break, they flew on their own dime. That's a terminology that Elder Wardley uses. <laughs> anyway, they flew to Philly and stayed with me. And I, as we're driving from the airport, we must have hit 50 potholes, <laughs> no less. <clears throat> Never noticed potholes. All the time I lived in Philly. First of all, we didn't drive anywhere. We all were on the bus. And then secondly, I said, well, look, we're going to go downtown. We're going to take public transportation. Let's jump on the nearest bus. And so we go standing on the corner right across the street from my house. And we're not paying attention. we right on the corner thinking it's our bus. We run up. No, it's not our bus. And the bus pulls off. And every piece of trash that was on the ground, when that bus accelerated, blew back into our faces. I'm talking about Philadelphia trash. This ain't Delaware trash. This is Philadelphia trash. (laughs) That was the first time in my adult life that I realized, this is a dirty city. (laughs) Maybe Philadelphia ain't the best place. After all, but I had become so accustomed to dirt. We could put trash out on a Thursday and they come three weeks later and pick it up. I could walk to school and be dodging glass and bottles and broken this, broken that. I was so accustomed to that being normal that I didn't realize how dysfunctional and how dirty, the place I'd lived and called home really was until I saw something different. And what I'm suggesting to you is that we are so accustomed to the dirt that's in the church so accustomed to the the nonchalantness and the 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 this give me a little bit of give me two dollars worth of God give me fifty cent worth of God we're so accustomed to that downsized version of God that we have become that's who we think God is but God is not what we are comfortable with God is holy He's above all things and He deserves our worship He deserves our best. And he didn't save you so you could be comfortable. Amen. In fact, he said, take up your cross. A cross is not for vacation. It's for some, It's a crucifying instrument. It's something to die on. You need to know who the standard is. That's what makes churches distinctive. It's one thing to have new direction as a name. But are you like God? Does that describe your life? Here's the second thing. You need to know who you are. Say, I need to know who I am. Jesus helps us to know. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, I want you to see how this statement occurs in the Greek. The emphasis is on the pronoun that is at the beginning of the sentence, and it's a plural pronoun. It says, you are the salt of the earth. And it's demonstrative because the intention is this. You can the verse can be rendered in this way: You alone are the salt of the earth. There's no other salt. It's you. You are you, you, his team. Ain't no B team. Ain't no secondary plan. You or you and I are it. Christians are the only salt in the world. You and I alone are in this unique ca- ca- uh, category that Jesus describes. So you alone are the salt of the earth. And it's, the verb is in the present progressive tense. He said you are. It means that you are currently, right now, today, the moment you trust Jesus, and continuously will be until the Lord calls you home, you will always be the salt of the earth. The question is, are you salty salt? (laughs) He didn't say you might be or you could be. You are. You are salt right now. We already talked about when that occurs. Jesus put it like there. Jesus answered the woman in John, uh, answered Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. You can write that down. Jesus says, Jesus answered, Verily I say to you, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless he's born of the water and of the Spirit. Born of the water is not baptism. It's first birth. You come to the, the, the water of your mother's womb. That's the first birth. That's how Nicodemus understood it. And he said, and you, But you must be born of the Spirit. That's the second birth, born of the from above, he says, for that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You, you don't be surprised. I'm saying that you, you must be born a second time. You need to be born again. In order for you to become salt, you need to be transformed. Amen. A new creation has to occur. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, you are a new creation. You've been metamorphosized. You've been changed from one form to another. You've been changed to what the Bible called salt. Say amen. 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 The Bible says don't be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world, but we need to be what? Be transformed. Transformation is from the inside out. Now, why does the Lord call us salt? There are four purposes for which salt was used. One of the reasons or purposes of salt is that salt preserves, say preserves, during the time of Christ and even centuries later, they didn't have refrigeration units. There were no freezing uh, uh, units. They had no way of, of, of keeping food from rotting and spoiling. And so what they would use to keep food from decaying your favorite meat, they used salt. And so what salt does, it keeps things from rotting. It keeps things from spoiling. And so when in the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, it says, after the restrainer has been removed, the lawless one, Satan, the beast, the ant, will be revealed. Because the restrainer is holding the devil back from deceiving people, from never trusting Christ through lying, signs. And wonders. And so what the the restrainer in the world is the Holy Spirit of God living in you, living in the salt. So the Holy Spirit is living in the salt. And while the salt is present on the earth, what the Holy Spirit does through us, it preserves the earth. It It keeps things from becoming worse. It holds back evil. We stand in the gap between divine judgment and deliverance. And so he said, but when the restrainer is removed, the devil will have free run. And so when you are operating as salt in the context of your marriage, at work, in your community, with your extended family, what your presence represents is that where evil would have no stop sign, it would simply be able to have free course in your family. You stop evil from having its reign. 1 Corinthians says that the saved, that the saved the, uh, in chapter 7, that a saved wife sanctifies the unsaved husband. You set that person apart. There is a covering that comes with your presence. People are blessed just because a Christian is there. That's why Jonah said, you better throw me off this boat because God, my, the covering is gone. As long as I'm on this boat, everybody on this boat is at risk of dying. And so, salt preserves. You are a preserver, you keep evil from spreading. Salt gives flavor. Salty Christians are to the world what salt is to the food. It makes the food taste better. Salt is essential, even when we're not supposed to have a lot of it. Water, every, every type of water you drink has salt in it. Our body needs salt to survive. Somebody say amen. amen. So what the Lord is saying is that salt not only preserves, prevents evil from spreading, just like salt makes your food taste better, Christians, your presence makes that situation better. When you show up, <laughs> it's a better situation because you're there. Because we're not a part of the problem, we're a part of the solution. And so Christians make things better because we have access to the God of heaven. God hears us when we pray. He answers on behalf of his children. He opens doors for people. He, The Bible says when Christians are operating in faith, we can speak to mountains not only for ourselves, but we can speak for mountains that have been blocking other people from seeing God. We can speak to mountains, and mountains will be removed because when Christians show up, things get better. Not only does evil stop, but things get better. Things shouldn't be getting worse when you show up. Things should be getting better. Salt also creates thirst. When you you don't have enough salt in your body, you will crave water, and water replenishes the salt. If you don't have salt, you will become dehydrated, and dehydration can lead to sickness and even death. We need salt. I want you to understand that mankind has a thirst as well. Our souls thirst for God. And that's why Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you had asked me for water, (laughs) if you had asked me for a drink, I have something that will completely satisfy you and I guarantee that you will never thirst again. And so what we have as believers, the Bible says, but sanctify, set apart the Lord God in your heart. Be ready to give an answer to every man who for re- who is thirsting for God. Does your life cause people to thirst for God? Do they desire him because of your presence? Your life should make people thirst for God. It should make things better. It should stop. People should, they may be cussing and passing drugs around and all that. You show up and they say, oh wait a minute. You're not the cops. But you belong to God, the King of kings, and their respect for you. But even, I pray for people who were, were so blasted on drugs and alcohol, and I've watched the Spirit of God sober that person Instantly, and the rest of them kind of said, Whoa, what is this? Some say, You done messed up his stuff. You done messed up his hide. We done paid a lot of money for this. (laughs) It wasn't me. Here's another use of salt salt is an anesthetic, it numbs, it takes pain away. It helps the healing process. Are you an anesthetic? Do you help to wound the broken heart? Do you bear the infirmities of the weak? Do you restore those who have been broken and fallen away? Do you help bring healing into people's lives? Or do you bring trouble to their lives? Jesus said, you are the anesthetic. You are the preserver. You are the one who gives people thirst. For me, you are the one... Who adds flavor, makes things better. We're talking a little bit about getting a loan for our church. And it's amazing how much the bank requires from you if you want to buy a house. They want to know where you were born, they do everything but take your blood type and your DNA. If they could get away with it, they would but they want five years of records. They want to know that you have had a job. They want to know attendance. They want to know, uh, have you been fired? They want to know, have you been paying your bills? and What's your credit rating? You, you guys know what I'm talking about. You can actually try to get a job, and they're going to look at your, 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 your financial history. You may not get hired because of your financial history. And so we get all nervous and we make sure we'll get this thing straight. I'm trying to get a house, girl. I'm trying to get a car. Ain't nothing like going to a place and you see the car, you done picked it out, you done drove it, and you done leaned back. And then they say, you can't have it. Your credit's bad. <laughs> and so what we do, we'll work five jobs trying to get our credit. We want to be good credit partners. We want to get our credit approved. We're going to be able to get that thing that we love. What kind of credit partner are you with God? Could he sign off on you? Are you a salty Christian? Are you working overtime to make sure that you keep short accounts with the Lord? Is it your first desire to seek Him first? But by to seeking what, the Bible says, Seek what? The kingdom of God? And His what? His righteousness. He says, All these things. Do you have a heart's desire? To be what Jesus said you are. You are the salt. You are. You alone are the salt. Somebody say amen. Amen. Finally, you must be who you are. Say, I must be who I am. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? If then, it is, it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. What happens when Christians become messy, when we become hypocritical, when we become inconsistent, when living for the Lord is not our priority? I want you to understand that Delaware doesn't lack churches. That's not, our, that's not the issue. Delaware law lacks salty Christians. That's the issue. Because the Bible says one will chase a thousand and two, ten thousand. How many have you chased? What happens when a Christian becomes messy? One of the things that happens is that you lose your flavor. He says, you, that is, you use the ability to stop evil because people say, How are you going to tell me? A father came in the room, his son was smoking. He called him, he said, What are you doing smoking? Why would you do that? Smoking kills. You get cancer. Who taught you how to smoke? I said you, Dad. Father didn't know that his son would see him going in the backyard. When his dad thought nobody was looking, and the way we used to say in the past is, our son said, Well, I'm grown. You do whatever I say you do. Not no 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 no. Our kids become what we are. That's why 61 percent of the children that are raised in quote-unquote, evangelical churches, when they grow up, they don't come back. Something like a crazy percentage, like 67% of children who are born in the church don't even believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They They believe that every religion is just as good as the next. There's no, Satan is not real. And then the question is, well, what? Is a singular thing. You brought the church, child to church. They were in children's church. They had all these special ministries. What they what they didn't do is practice the faith in front of the kids away from church. Amen. The best lessons are caught rather than taught. The angel of the Lord went to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah after after Abraham had prayed. He said, Lord, if there's a hundred, would you spare? Would you spare a hundred? He said, I spare a hundred. If there's 50, would you spare a spare third. And he got down, he said, ten. If he had said one, God would have spared them all if he simply kept on praying in that way because Abraham was a friend of God. Strange to me, but he was God's friend. It's complicated. <laughs> and so he gets to the city, and these, these homosexuals said, we want to we have sex with the men that are staying in your house. And so somewhere in between that interlude, Lot is given instruction that God is going to destroy the city. Go tell everyone that you love to let's pack it up and get out of Dodge. So Lot goes to his future sons-in-laws. And the Bible calls Lot in, in, Hebrews chap, in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, it says Lot was a righteous man, and the where, where he lived vexed his soul. But he compromised. He wasn't a salty Christian because he said he was righteous, the same term that is used to believers. When he went to his son's-in-law, the Bible says that they heard him say, let's run and escape for our lives. They laughed at him because they thought he was joking. They didn't take lot seriously because of the kind of life he lived. Lot gained all of the material success that you could ever want. He was a ruler in the city of God, Sodom and Gomorrah, a place that God cursed. You can go, with, uh, go to a place where God is cursed. And so finally he persuades his family. The angel literally has to grab Lot by the arm and drag him out of the city. He didn't go with full cooperation. He literally, carnality makes you crazy. And so as they're leaving, his wife looked back at their townhouse. She looked back at their bedroom. She looked back at Neiman Marcus's. She looked back at their their, their multiple SUVs. And and the Bible says, the angel said, don't look back. And the scripture says the moment that she looked back, she was turned into stone. And then Lot Finally reached a place to escape. The Lord told him to go somewhere else. He said, no, if I go there, they'll kill me like God is not. God's protecting you to get out of, uh, of destruction, but you're going to now tell the Lord where you should go. Okay, I got a permissive will. You can go. Ends up in a cave. His two lovely daughters, he got them out of Sodom, Sodom, but he didn't get Sodom out of them. So they got their father drunk. Two nights in a row, he had sex with his own daughters. And they gave birth in an incestuous relationship. Read about it. And those children became two of the worst enemies to the children of God. What I'm saying to you is when you don't let the Christ in you direct your steps by living for him in holiness, your life can lead to the destruction. Lot got out of Sodom and he lost his entire family. Is is it worth it? You can lose your entire family chasing what God never sent you after. Remember the story of Elijah? He ran in fear. You can lose your testimony. It's not always this terrible list of things. He incest. He went to a city that God told him. No, no. Sometimes it's a sin of omission. You just didn't do what you're supposed to do. Elijah just said, if I got to deal with this woman, I'm out. He fled. And in his fleeing from Jezebel, he became so depressed that he asked the Lord to do a, a Dr. Kevorkian on him. Pull the plug, Lord. I want to die. And you know what the Lord did? The Lord said, look, I want to have a one-on conference with him. And the strength of one meal, Elijah went a Went for 40 40 days and 40 nights without eating. Ended up in a cave. And then the Lord said, he got there. He said, what in the world are you doing here? I believe that some of us are in that cave right now. And the Lord said, after all these years you've been saved, and all that I've done for you and through you, all the miracles that you've seen, all the times that I've delivered and lifted you up out of this, why are you still here? And the Lord said, okay, I got another plan. He fired Elijah and told him, go anoint Elisha. That basically, when Elijah, out of fear, failed to do his ministry, God replaced him. And so what happens when you are not living in a way that you recognize that you're in the witness protection program, you're trying to protect your witness. You want to honor God? God said, "Okay, you don't want to do what I'm telling you to. I got some Elishas waiting in the wing." Let me finish. Here's another thing that happens when you get a chance. This is 1 Corinthians chapter eight, verse. The entire chapter, the Bible talks about doubtful things, Christian liberties, things that we can do. Uh, God doesn't say in any way in the Bible you can't smoke, but the Surgeon General says smoking is hazardous to your health and it can cause cancer. And we get it. All uh, right, you are the temple God and the spirit of God dwells in you. So, uh, so God doesn't say you can't get drunk, can't drink. He says, don't be drunk. And so this, this passage of Scripture says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. You may have the knowledge that you can drink whatever you want to drink. You can go wherever you want to have, have your party and, and and enjoy your family, et cetera, the family reunion. But you shouldn't be the one who has to have a designated driver. You're the drunkest one at the family reunion, talking about how you love Jesus. As Christians, we don't get to wild out. Because my testimony impacts weaker Christians that can and my, their, my failure to protect them can lead them away from Jesus. I may never get strung out on drugs, but if they see me getting high, that may be the t- first time they say, oh, Christians can do that. Say, yeah. And then they tried one time and now they're addicted. There's some things that you're not going to see Pastor Benson do. Not because I can't, but because I don't want to allow my testimony to be a hindrance to you. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Here's another thing. He said it becomes good for nothing. Good for nothing. Your testimony can become worthless. And that means that you now have no spiritual power. Samson had played with sexual sin for so long. The Bible says that when Delilah said, the Philistines are upon you, and the scripture said he jumped out as in times past. Like the man who decided that since he was 3,000 miles away from his wife and she would never know, beautiful woman at the bar, she's making eyes at him, he's making eyes at her, and man, really gonna make eyes at this little dude? Okay, it's on. And for one night, and he said, I'm going home the next day. and she said, I, I hope she won't be here when I get up. <laughs> then nobody knows but her and me. She wasn't there when he got up. So he's just grinning. Oh, man, I got away with this. I'm, I can't believe she was a model. She was beautiful. She actually came to my room in my bed. And he's getting in there. He's half can't wait, can't, can't, can't see. He turns the light on the bathroom and written in red lipstick, Welcome to the world of AIDS. This woman was going to conventions around the country paying back men for giving her AIDS by spreading it to them. So Samson jumps up as in the past, but he, the Bible says he did not know that the Spirit of God had departed. Now, we don't have to worry about God's spirit departing from us because the spirit, the Bible says we are sealed until the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and he went. And so here was Samson without any power. I want you to know what happens when you are, when you are not living right. You can't really shout. You can't really worship. You can't really praise God. You got on fake praise. Your prayers ain't going nowhere but the ceiling. You have diminished power. It's like you're trying to lift up a car with one arm. That the, the strength that we should be operating is not our mind, our power, but it is his power. But what happens when we're not living right, your power is diminished. Let me give you a final thing here, and then we're going to move on. Paul says, but I discipline my body and bring it under subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself may become disqualified. I believe that God will put you on a shelf, that you won't have a voice to your family, to your own children, because of how bad you lived. Now, of course, God can heal and mend. Sometimes that doesn't happen because of the wounds that were inflicted on the people that you hurt when you were wilding out. Paul says, I discipline my body I live for the Lord so that when I am proclaiming the good news, they won't turn a deaf ear to me because of the way I've lived. That means I'm no good for anything but to be trodden on the foot. You're on the shelf. God is done with the, 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 the potential of being effective in the fear. David continued to be king, but the Lord said the sword shall never leave your home. And just study the history of generational curses on David's family because of his bad testimony. Now, how can you stay salty? Let me finish with this. You need to stand up for what is right to stop evil. You do. You need to get some backbone. (laughs) Wherever you find yourself, in a position where you can stand for what is right, be salty by speaking against evil. Speak against evil. Amen, Amen everybody. Okay. Amen. Seek to be a part of the solution rather than the problem. Anybody can tell somebody, oh, yeah, that's wrong, and I can't understand, and why won't they get their act together? You know that church, they just do this and they do that. Okay, what's the solution? You're salt. You you make things better. Serve others. This is what happens when you're in the flesh. You're going to be serving yourself. Serve others so they can see Jesus. The best and clearest way to show somebody Christ is by being a humble servant. Humble yourself and do something for somebody. Here's a final thing. Stop living in known sin. It may be secret to others, but known to you, because a little sin in your life will spread like cancer, Amen. and because it dishonors, it dishonors God. It dishonors God. Amen. There's nothing more liberating than to turn away from sin and to live a set-apart life. That's where the power is well, I don't love, I, don't, I just don't get much out of my Bible, and when I pray, I don't think God answers. And, do you have some pride, personal sin in your life that you haven't confessed? Because what happens is when you're craving God and you're seeking for him like a deer planning for water, when you get desperate for God, you want the word. You, you desire it like a newborn babe. You want the bottle. You want to be nursed by the word. But when we're not doing right, You're not going to have that craving, And so the problem is not with the Bible. It's not with the church. It's look in the mirror. Stand with me. Back in the 80s, one of the most popular commercials was Be Like Mike. And we all know. You don't even have to say who Mike was. We all know. I'm talking about number 23, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan made having a bald head. Before Michael Jordan, it wasn't cool to have a bald head. (laughs) Unless you're a handsome guy, you know. (laughs) Some of us got it. But when Michael Jordan got his hair cut, then it was, we're going to be like Mike. You had grown men wearing the number 23, out on the court, and their tongue sticking out when they take a shot, and counting down, one, five seconds, four seconds. "Mike!" Mike! You know, we talked about like with Michael Jordan, you know, three feet tall. We made Mike, being like Mike, has helped him to become a billionaire. And I don't know about you, but I don't know Mike, Michael Jordan's personal life. But I hear the Lord says, be ye holy. Yeah. Yeah. And my question is, it's, you, all of us have modeled our lives after somebody. Somebody has been influence, influenced the way we are. My question to you is, who wants to be like you? Who would say, that's a wife I want to be like. I want to be that kind of mother. I want to be that kind of father. Who wants to be like you? If you, said, no, I want to be like me. Be like Jesus. Well, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So if you are the salt of the earth, somebody ought to be thirsting. Somebody ought to be craving for Jesus because they see the Christ in you, the hope of glory. Somebody ought to recognize there's something very special about you unless you're a messy Christian. And so today I'm challenging, please, understand the level of influence that you have in Christ, when you show up, things are automatically shifted because you take with you the very presence of God. This ain't about no titles. ain't about no, this is about who you are in Jesus. Please be the salt that you were created to be. Let's pray. Father, we love you.